0: Good morning, Jason. How are you?
1: Good. I'm doing well. Um, Patrick can't join us today. He fashioned his own kayak out of um, lab equipment and he's circumnavigating the globe today. So... that
0: sounds like something he would do. Um, yeah. So instead of Patrick, we have uh, a different guest. <laughs> Patrick's yep. not a guest. Let's not, <laughs> He's let's not the... call Patrick a guest, but we have another guest. <laughs>
1: we, <there>. we have <laughs> a Patrick. guest. Yeah. Our guest today uh, is Mike Cacciatore from the University of Georgia. Mike, welcome to Planet SciComm. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Mike is an associate professor of communication from the University of Georgia, from the Grady School of
2: Journalism. <laughs> um,
0: I'm going to go ahead and let Mike introduce himself. Mike. Okay. Uh,
2: wow, that, that was fantastic. Um, Mike Cacciatore, I'm an associate professor at the University of Georgia in the Grady College of Journalism and Mass I Communication. Get that wrong. I Close get enough. That wrong. We'll let you slide on that one. Um, I actually told Sarah just before we jumped on here that I wanted to hijack the first couple of minutes because I know Sarah pretty well. And uh, I always know her to be an incredibly organized person, very on the ball. Um, Even with this podcast invitation, she sent me like this very formal email where I really would have expected a, just some message to pop up on Slack or WhatsApp or something. Right. So (laughs) I'm ready for this very professional enterprise. She sends me this formal email. I decide to accept. Within minutes, there's instructions about how to record the audio. And I'm like, wow, this is a very polished situation I'm moving into here. I'm a little Mm. nervous, right? And then she sends a planning document. And she sent this on Wednesday. And am I allowed to uh, address the... Break the fourth wall and address your listeners? Is that something I'm allowed to do Yep, yep, yep. All right. So... (laughs) She is, it, is it a this,
0: fourth wall in audio?
2: I, I, oh, I actually have question. that question as well. Yeah. Okay. She, <laughs> we'll get there. she sends this document and um, it starts off very promising. It has my name as the guest. It's episode number four. Again, it repeats the logistics of recording. And then it gets to intro. Sarah is just basically going to introduce herself. Jason. Hi, Jason. He's introducing hi. himself and he'll introduce me. And then we get to the bolded and underlined topics to discuss. And she sends us on Wednesday
1: um, and I'm expecting
2: information to show up under that. And it remains a single bullet with no text after it. So I'm coming into this. We have no topics to discuss today. So that's a, that says a lot about my ability as a researcher that uh, we couldn't think of a single thing <laughs> to bring up or or discuss.
1: We couldn't narrow it down. That's the yes. positive uh, way to yes. put it. We had so <laughs> many things that we wanted to talk about. <laughs> So many different things and we couldn't choose yeah. uh, you know just a bullet list. rest.
0: <laughs> I, I well, think I think that is a compliment that there was nothing after that bullet point because we're
2: such we're free-flowing good enough conversations.
0: Friends, right. And and the three of us know each other enough to right. not have any bullet points that narrow you down
2: to Yeah. Well, I, I also mentioned this to Sarah and I didn't tell her what I was gonna. Discuss, but I said, "Well, since you have nothing to bring up, you have no topics for us to discuss. <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm hijacking the first couple of minutes of this, and I don't know if that's normal, but you're episode four, and I wanted to give your listeners a a glimpse behind the curtain about how this gets made, and, and I started to do that with your excellent planning document that I described. Um, <laughs> but it's totally nice. normal." Yeah, I assume this is some sort of interview process. And so I'm going to interview you um, because this is, you know, I just learned about this podcast in the last couple of weeks. Came somewhat Th- this of is blue. somewhat
0: ironic, right? Because uh, we did, Mike and I work on several research grants together and research projects together. And we've done so for... Mm.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I would say it's more than a decade. We've at least worked together in Let's some way. Let's not
0: sure. use big words like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. so For, the for better a better
1: part of this century, how about?
0: Oh, I don't know that that's better. But yes, okay, So for a long time, we'll say a long time. And yeah, then uh, so, yeah. And, and we have research lab meetings like most labs do, right? And so we do this every week. And this past week, somebody brought it up, a graduate student or someone brought this up, right? That, and and that was how my co-PIs found out about this podcast that we're doing.
2: Yeah, I think I brought it up. I brought up the fact that uh, I had oh, accepted and I right. was going to do anything possible to sabotage this and, and make, it a, <laughs> make this a short-lived enterprise. So get ready for some serious controversy on this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, it may, it may well be a short-lived enterprise, but we'll see.
2: <laughs> or it may garner you immense amounts of engagement and people will love to hear the controversial opinions on this. So it's Perhaps. going one way or the other. We'll see what right. Yeah, so I wanted, to, I wanted to get it in your heads a little bit and uh, just start with some basic logistic questions. Like, how long are we going here? Uh, I saw one went for about 25 minutes. Another one went for 90 plus minutes. Um, where are we going here? What's the, what's the length you're looking for? Hmm.
1: Jason. <laughs> uh, variable length. How's that for an answer? Um, All yeah, right. so, so I think, uh, you know, part of the, part of the idea of the podcast is to kind of be a little free flowing with the ideas and, and to have conversations that might wrap up, you know, we get, we, we, we work our way to a point where we're like, huh, that seems like we've, we've said a lot on this topic and, um, and that might take, you know, a shorter amount of time might take a longer amount of time. And, um, also the number of, the number of extra, um, you know, extra diversions, uh, extra adventures that we go on. Uh, I think our last podcast, we had, we had quite a number of different, um, adventures and that was, that was really fun with the guests. So
0: we had yeah. Chelsea last time, Chelsea, Mike, we Ooh, were on the that panel together.
1: That's a tough act to follow. I, I'm
2: not sure I'll be quite. I don't think I have 90 worth, uh, ninety minutes worth of material around my entire life to engage an audience, but well, we'll see what happens. Let me tell
0: you, we didn't get past introducing Chelsea in 90 minutes. We that did not. We got stuck at Chelsea's introduction for
2: 90 minutes. Wow. So that's where we were. Okay. Well, again, I, I think I'm a, a less interesting person since we're already past my introduction and couldn't really think of a single topic to discuss. So. <laughs> How about uh, your target audience? Who are we talking to on this? Is it just your friends and family or have we expanded beyond that to science communication enthusiasts? Gosh, I really hope we've expanded beyond that. But I'm pretty sure my
0: parents are are still like top listeners. You know what I mean? Um, let's see. Audience. Uh, I I am excited about getting people who are interested in science communication maybe have a not a great idea about what that is especially um the way we are so intimately familiar with it there's research in science communication there's the practice of science communication you know i think the the nuances of that are are not always clear to everyone and so i uh have this objective of getting people more interested and excited in it and kind of peeking behind the curtain that there is research in science communication that you know as, as well you know you and i do um, but then that might also help inform the type of practice that jason does because jason reminder listeners is a very talented comic artist and i've enjoyed recent comics so you should check okay. him out he is uh, at red pen black pen on twitter
2: Oh, nice plug. You guys yes. are becoming love. Yes. I, I, really like that. That. I, I yeah. do that. <laughs> this is your first time guest hosting Jason and the plugs are flowing in. This is uh, I'm impressed. Oh, oh, no,
0: Jason is a host all. <laughs> the time. I am I am a host, oh,
1: okay. I'm misunderstood. host. Yeah I yeah. misunderstood.
0: He's a content creator.
1: Uh, yeah. So I think that's one of the one of the things to follow up on on Sarah's answer and to kind of um you know double down on that. I I really like I I getting to different kinds of of people so researchers people who are interested in content creation um it's uh, and and then maybe uh scientists who don't you know don't my one of my favorite uh go-to lines is that scientists are always science communicators they just don't realize it right they don't understand that they are communicating science even if that communication is just in journal articles um, how are you communicating your science? And so I'm. I, I guess I'm excited about the idea of of finding those people who are interested enough in science communication that they might want to listen to some, you know, listen to us blather on for ninety minutes, um, and that that they might be intrigued by the ideas that are presented both from the content creation side, but really, I mean, this is an education for me in terms of the research into science communication, which I'm really excited about. So,
0: yeah, I guess I, I didn't mention that kind of selfish part is that I want to talk more and kind of take this opportunity to have fun and just have regular conversations with people like you, Mike, right. People who are doing research and then people like Chelsea who are, um, actually doing science communication, and you know i I always think about well, who's our audience uh, I think it's a lot of science- hopefully a lot of science communication. The people who are in the industry, so to speak, of science communication, right? Who are doing the science communication, who are doing the research in the science communication. I think about grad students, I think about our colleagues, though maybe our colleagues don't necessarily have time to listen to a rambly podcast of ours, right? But there's some younger generation of researchers that uh, hopefully might be inspired by some of the things that we talk about, by some of the guests we have. Um, I think as a grad student, I had, I thought, uh, some of the researchers that I read a lot were were unapproachable. Maybe mm-hmm. right. This is a means of making uh, people perhaps less unapproachable.
2: All right, excellent. Um, so I have I have an idea for how to grow your audience. Oh. And, uh, I'm a visionary when it comes to this. Awesome. Um, I think what we need is oh. you need your own angle. How how formal? How informal? Should we be cursing? I mean, I know Sarah in her day to day life and. and She has a bit of a wicked tongue when you get her on the right Zoom call and she gets riled up about something. (laughs) Something to differentiate this podcast. Uh, Maybe take a stand on Spotify, which I think you're on. Maybe take a stand with Neil Young and say, no, our viewers are... We're not hosting on this. So just thinking about some ways you can grow your audience here.
0: (laughs) I definitely think we lean on the... informal gosh i nearly said formal which was a mistake but the informal end of this spectrum uh we have yet to curse i i feel like we don't have much to curse about <laughs> on this podcast mike knows the things i rail against when i am on a call and happen to be on a rant which is i think the th- many first world problems that academic academics tend to rail against as well so
2: you know i'm no different there And it's one of those things I find so endearing about you. So we really (laughs) want to get that side out of you. I want that angry, spitting venom Uh, side of Sarah on this in some way, shape, or form. That might be a goal,
0: actually, for for Mike. Because, you know, Jason, I don't know if you know, but Mike is Canadian,
1: Oh, I did not know that. Right. But now and, I know. and just
0: saying that, like, we have a whole picture of what Mike is like. Right. And right. You know, yeah, I pretty I much mean, know now. Right. And I, yeah. he's rarely angry. He's rarely <laughs> no. upset. But when he does, it is a thing of beauty. It is just, wow, look at all this, you know, repressed anger.
2: Yeah, yeah. it bubbles to the surface from time to time, but it's, it's <laughs> few and far between. I like to think
1: it is. I was I was actually thinking about that, and I don't swear very much, um, but I but I do get mad about things, and and it's you know those kinds of academic problems, and that's where uh, my uh, content creation outlet comes. Is I feel like I oftentimes will take those take that that frustration and stuff, and I'll turn it into a comic or mm-hmm. a cartoon. Um, Nice. yeah just an interesting
0: yeah Thank if very... only we had that kind of outlet <laughs> we... <laughs> <laughs> i am not talented enough to draw a... it would just be scribbles angry scribbles on a page is what that would look like
1: yeah,
2: I, yes I, sadly
1: I, sorry no to... as long as sorry, the angry you know. scribbles are you know well framed and you have you know good captions then you're you're your golden, right? I feel like
2: our outlet is our uh, many, many meetings that we have each week, Sarah. I mean, we get we get our our venom out during those times, I think. Um, yeah, we Unfortunately, have a... grad students hear it from time to time. but Yeah, that's unfortunate. But, <laughs> I
0: mean, I think it's part of the training, right? Like, here are the realities of, like, being an academic, if you choose to become an academic. Here are some of the yeah. very first world, I will admit, problems that you may be faced with. And, you know, Uh, Mike and I expressing this privately in a meeting is better than... not being a nice person to well, <laughs> right so, in our profession.
2: being yeah, cryptic, that we, we should acknowledge that none of this is is directed towards our fair institutions that we're both uh, affiliated <laughs> right? with, yes. who we love, and our mm-hmm. colleagues who we love. Let's be incredibly, incredibly that's clear totally about that.
1: I, and and funding sources, of course, of <laughs> exactly.
2: Course. Yeah. Yes, yeah.
1: exactly. Ex- yes. Completely exempted from anger.
2: <laughs> Which, shows my backbone if you have money to give you can do whatever you want i have <laughs> I no walk, no opinions
1: <laughs> walk all over me i will angry. Exactly. <laughs> it's fine just keep the uh, money coming please yeah. yes but yeah, yeah. The, the last idea
2: i had before we jump in is uh you should think about like hiding the science maybe like i thought why not start with like a true crime podcast which is all the rage and then just kind of turn it into a science communication one once you get your viewers over you know tens of thousands oh uh, good
1: idea yeah uh, yeah i then duck, we'd have proper. to like find a murderer or something and that would be
2: <laughs> catch a killer yourselves using yeah. some yeah. sort of forensic science if we had it right, right, right. right.
1: That's a good, yeah. it's good a, it's it's a good idea um, or we could do something like so. I, I, I oftentimes uh, as a data scientist, or at least that's one way I could describe myself. It's often the time. It's often the case that projects work their way towards a data forensics stage. Mm-hmm. You have the you have the joyful optimism of starting out. You you design an experiment um, that something goes wrong, and you don't realize it until later. The data comes out after a while. There's, there's a point at which everybody's like, wait a minute, something got screwed up. How do we figure out where the thing that got screwed up happened? Mm-hmm. And that's like, I've often thought about that, about that analogy as like a true crime kind of like yeah. investigative, wow. like deep dive <laughs> into, you know, who killed the data. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, but I don't think it would probably be
1: gripping in the same way yeah. as, as I, a true I feel, crime.
0: I, idea. I, uh, I don't know. Don't underestimate some good editing, <laughs> yeah. some music in the background. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: I feel bad yeah. for, for implying earlier that Jason wasn't the regular co-host because your ability to take my <laughs> inane idea and actually turn it into something. I'm, I,
1: you've got some, some reps under your belt. Yeah. Do that. I'm impressed. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, in my, uh, in my defense, in my, oh, wow. um, it, uh, to be fair, uh, I have thought of that exact idea with the data forensics idea before because it has come up and it's it's one of those painful things that you take away from doing, especially large collaborative projects that are generating a lot yeah. of data, is that oftentimes you'll work it to a point where you're like, we sunk a large amount of investment into generating this data and it turns out that Something happened, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway,
0: yeah. I think that's that's pretty common. I think.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's uncommon. It
0: happens more than we admit. I think
1: <laughs> right. generally, right? What can we or, rescue out of this? Right,
0: or more than people uh, can see, than more than lay audiences or
1: general publics tend to, yeah. be able to see, right? Yeah, you know. Okay, so I'm going to pivot here. I'm going to okay. pivot because I think that's Let's a do. really great segue into talking about. Um, an element of science communication that we've brought up before, which is kind of, um, and it's part of what I've noticed about some of my comics and cartoons is that um, you're pulling back the curtain on a, a certain area of academia that is um, that it, it, where you're kind of airing dirty laundry, right? You're like, the peer review process is really broken here's how it's so funny when it's broken this way and that way. And, and, um, what I've gotten, I I've had people comment on it, that they're like, why don't you believe in the peer review process? You're a Mm. scientist. You should, it's the best way to do things, you know, blah, 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 whatever, whatever the reasons are, right. They have good reasons. It's not, I don't want to say that. Um, and I have to come back and say, actually, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I think it is a good way. It's just that there are these funny things and these frustrating things. and so. I, I kind of put that question out there, like um, when science communication occurs, and we've seen this a lot in, uh, I think with the pandemic, um, which, you know, looms large over everything, but especially over science communication, where you see things get picked up that you're like, that is a, you know, one study in, you know, maybe it's a preprint, maybe it's, maybe it's a published paper that says one thing about, you know, the, the reliability of some measurement or something like that. And Mm -hmm. this gets picked up by certain parties and taken to mean that, you know, we can't trust anything that anybody says because that, because that one lab measured things wrong, for instance. So there's a, there's a topic there. I don't know that there's a question, but I'm interested to hear what your guys' thoughts are on like, like oversharing in science communication, basically.
2: I mean, it's a big one to unpack. It's also not on my list of questions here. What am I going to do with it? Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, that that pressure is kind of everywhere. The pressure to, to share findings relatively quickly. Um, it's a breaking news kind of world, um, especially in the context of a pandemic. We want information as quickly as possible for what safe behaviors are, what we should be doing to to avoid contracting um, the virus, et cetera. So. Since there wasn't a specific question posed there, right. I'm more no, just kind it. of backing up um, your ideas here that I don't know if it's a problem that, that's going to get better anytime soon. Um, we struggle with conveying uncertainty and the nature of science. I think people oftentimes think, well, a study showed this, therefore, right? It's 100% foolproof, It yeah. it's... A, But there's all these caveats to it. And and we run into that with our own research um, and how rigid we're trying to be with some of the experimental manipulations that we're building, Sarah, um, in our research group. So I'm I'm rambling around here a little, but I'm nodding in agreement with with what you're saying.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, this management of uncertainty is a really big issue, especially when it comes to something like a public health crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The guidelines, for example, are always changing. That's based on the most current science. I think one of the, and I don't know, it could be a little bit of both, right? It could be a little bit of all these things that sometimes we present science as something that has been established or at least in the past we have presented science as something that has been established right and so the changing nature of science is not necessarily um communicated as well perhaps mm-hmm. that well, there's know, a reason
2: for that too i mean part yeah, of it is exactly the the press releases that get produced by people who aren't involved in the science and yeah and i have it's incredibly helpful to have that done, but you have to kind of pull back the language a little like, no, this does not necessarily translate to all these other environments that we'd like it to. Um, but that's not sexy. That doesn't, that doesn't shine a great yeah. spotlight on the work you're doing. So you want it to be definitive and and the people writing it oftentimes believe it to be definitive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, we all have some fault, right. In in the mm-hmm. reasons for, um, why, we as regular everyday citizens don't manage uncertainty well when it comes to science communication, right. As a scientist, we could do better in, in working and communicating our own science and, you know,
2: thank talking. God there's a podcast. that. I love to discuss that.
0: Yeah. I also think about like drawing back the curtain on science. Does this like further polarize people you know if you're already predisposed to kind of one view or another does learning more about it it being more transparent does science being more transparent kind of help you better argue your side and that's the literature right that like people who tend to be more knowledgeable or more sophisticated about an issue um, tend to be better equipped to you know defend their own sides, their own perspectives. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: So and and drawing back the curtain helps you to understand the people that are doing the science and they are in fact people, right? They're not robots. And so they have their own political viewpoints and their own religious viewpoints and just the way that they view the world, which means if you draw back the curtain and you're more transparent, you learn about the people doing the work and, and the biases that they may have. And, And I'm not suggesting that they're, intentionally inserting bias into work but bias creeps in it's really difficult to um completely shut off that valve even when you're engaged in you know the rig- uh, rigorous scientific method i mean there's a whole area of study that right sarah that you're i'm sure you took some sts I courses didn't while actually. You were
0: at I, no, I did. Well, I didn't. Science and technology oh, studies oh, oh, is what thanks. Mike is referring to. Mm-hmm. STS. Um, so there's a there's a department right of science and technology studies mm-hmm. at UW Madison, and so Mike and I uh, were graduate students together. Mike got his PhD the year before I did, um, yes. and. Uh, it was quite common in our program to get a PhD minor because we're so interdisciplinary as communication Hmm. scholars. We kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, STS, for example, fits very well into right. Thinking about so STS scholars think about the history of science and Mike, you can speak better to this because I don't, I didn't take STS. I got a political science minor actually.
2: Well, my minor was actually sociology based heavily on where I took my stats classes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> so I didn't actually minor in in STS, but I, I I took a couple, I believe one to two courses, and just and again I don't necessarily subscribe to everything that I, I learned in those classes, and I could push back against things. But the general idea that we are human beings, and you know we're not always as objective as we want to be, is something that I would definitely um, put stock in.
0: Yeah, but I also think there that we are succumbing a little bit to this idea that science has to be one thing or another for us in society, but it can be the best way we come to know something, but it can also be a little bit broken at the same time. Right. It can have its flaws, you know? And so it's,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I, I felt this really acutely as a scientist in portions of the pandemic um, where I feel like uh, I, I, I felt like the, you had to be in defensive position, right? You have to close ranks and you have to kind of be like, okay, all of this stuff that we talk about, that we know the problems with peer review, the problems with, we have to kind of like, okay, but that's not the important part. Right. So everybody has to be on the same page moving that, that same way. And I felt, I I really didn't like that. Um, and, and to a certain extent, I still don't, I think it's, I think it kind of fluctuates with the news cycle in terms of of how I feel, but um, yeah, it, it was just an interesting thing to be like, oh, there's it, there's all these parts of science that we know about intimately in some cases um, that that aren't aren't very pretty, but they but we know the kind of we know the uncertainty around those. Mm-hmm. We know in our minds we have models and we have biases, right? But but I think that's yeah. Case. Again, I didn't ask a question. I just <laughs> I take back my
2: earlier compliment about your co- hosting abilities. No question.
1: <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> Everything just ends I'm in a up, statement. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but, you know, Mike mentioned that, oh, thank goodness there's this podcast. Right. But I also wanted to say, I think like I have been describing somebody had asked me about this podcast recently and I, I described it a little bit like um, Seinfeld, a show about nothing. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's kind of like a podcast about nothing, but, it,
2: you the know, go on you, my well, God, yeah, one I of the know. most successful if, sitcoms if only, of all time. If So, apples, only apples. Apples. so Mike, be. I'm going
1: to say I'm going to say that's why that's why Sarah and I left that blank. It's nothing. It's a show about nothing. It was a meta comment uh, on our it, yes. was a, it was a reference to Seinfeld. This exactly You're a exactly yeah. an homage if you will <laughs> yes. yes
0: yes i have been very mike and i have this um, project on science comedy and stand-up comedy yeah um, and i've been very slightly obsessed with improv comedy recently i've been listening to um, podcasts about it like mike berbiglia is working it out oh, and yeah, i've been yeah. watching <laughs> things like uh, comedians in cars getting coffee if any of you have seen that um, I have <laughs> yeah I've just been really thinking about humor and how it's used and, and stand up in general I don't have any insight I'm uh, <laughs> in the process but that's that's what has been occupying my I, time in addition to all the things that I do as an academic okay
2: <laughs> well it's related I mean we're working with uh with Kasha Patel who does comedy on science topics and, and she's kind of She's been great. We she's hooked us up with other comedians, and we're running experiments that involve. um, Are we allowed to talk about a pending research research going under review? I don't know the rules around that. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to note that
0: technically not under review.
1: That's a good point. So I think it's really no. I am just I am just thinking it's a really interesting area because there's there's so many different uh, aspects of science communication that. I think sometimes the the traditional view of science communication is very uh, one-dimensional, right? It's very kind of like, oh, science communication is press releases. It's um, articles in newspapers. It is, um, you know... It, it, Maybe that's it and kind of web pages that you might have with your institution, your university or whatever hosting kind of, you know, stories. Um, but I find it so interesting that there is like there's uh, you know, science comedians and that is is a thing. And it's and it's really interesting. And of course I'm I'm doing science um comics and cartooning, so I have an idea of that area, but I think there are other areas as well that maybe, you know, we haven't even thought about in terms of how do you communicate your science? I mean, there's the, there's the dancer PhD thing, right. Which is a little bit of like, I don't know, it is science communication, but I think it was more for maybe, um, you know, fun than mm-hmm. um, the intent of, of science communication. I'm just thinking of other places where, where you might see more, like, might really get some different views on what science communication is.
0: I think, you know, one, and I, I feel like I've evolved on this position, but maybe not. One one thing people bring up, or I don't know, maybe it's reviewers oh. who bring this up. I don't know. But um when let's say we study this particular aspect, right? is Mm -hmm. like a a single aspect of of science communication that might be like a tweet that we might study that has science humor or uh, a stand-up comedian or something, right? Is that, well, you know, who's the audience? Who's watching? Um, How, you know, how is it reaching people? Does it actually have an effect? Because the audience might be self-selected, right? In some way. But I... And I used to be very concerned about, well, what is the thing that we could study where it reaches the most amount of people? Right. But I, I don't know that that thing exists actually, you know, because we have so much fragmentation in media. Mm-hmm. That it is sort of this multi pronged approach, right? That like many hands of researchers potentially make improve science communication in many different, smaller perhaps ways, but are still important. I don't know that. I mean, I, I know that I'm not going to be the researcher probably that finds the like, ooh, magic thing that makes yes. science communication yes. effective. For everyone, maybe,
1: maybe it'll be a pill or something that you can oh, maybe. just take—a science communication yeah. pill. And you're yeah, like, "That's
0: definitely not me. I love science, <laughs> right? That's definitely not me. I know not. Maybe, Jay, maybe Patrick. Mm-hmm. Patrick, oh, Patrick? that's
1: true. We could you, we could use our connections here. Yeah, Patrick I mean, could design I, Patrick, a drug that.
0: Yeah, we should probably makes, step away, away from this. <laughs> <laughs> from that is this line a of flattering
2: thought. light for patrick he's part this of some is, sort of large yeah. science communication opioid crisis he's uh, poisoning we should
0: step away from this <laughs> patrick is an industry scientist he's an industry soil microbiologist so you know maybe he'll That's put some dirt do. into a pill yes. or something he's also
2: not here to defend himself he's, he's no. also, this yes this, this is, is
0: we are punching down a little bit here at patrick not being able to hear uh not being here to defend himself but yeah so i i just i don't know that um, I'm going to be that researcher who finds the magic solution to science uh-huh. communication, but it's sort of, and maybe that's a naive perspective, actually. I don't know whether other researchers think this way. I don't know, Mike, you tell me, what do you think? Did you, did you have dreams of like being <laughs> the uh, you know, the next let's see, let's use our advisors, the being the next Dominique Brossard or the next Dietrich Schäuble or, you know.
2: Uh, (laughs) I I don't remember my dreams. I'll leave it at maybe. Maybe (laughs) I do have dreams about the magic bullet of of science communication, but uh, I can I can safely say that that's not at the top of my list of things. I, I think. I think part of it is I, I'm in an advertising and public relations department. And while advertising can sometimes get lumped in a little bit with kind of this, you know, reach the most eyeballs type messaging, PR is definitely not that. I um, mean, I don't even think most advertising is like that. I mean, it's very much let's divide our audience into all these sub audiences and we us try to reach them where they are. So, I think um, whether it was my pessimism or just being around people who are more targeted in their communications uh, on a day-to-day basis, I think I abandoned that hope a while ago and, and I'm happy to make the small incremental gains on things and and learn a little bit more and and improve the process ever so slightly.
0: Well, and to that point, Jason did, as a young scientist, when you are a young scientist, if you are still a young <laughs> scientist, when, I should really not say things like that.
1: <laughs> I'm, I, am not a, I, I, I have moved into the into the stage of my life and my career where I'm like, that's fine. Don't yeah. I'm yeah. not a young scientist. That we should fine. say we though, are
0: all, I would think mid career here. Right. I, I that's, mean, that's
2: yeah, probably I'm late mid career. I will say, but I'm okay. But I'm mid for those yeah. scoring at home. So far, we've shamed industry and age. Just I want people <laughs> that's to be aware. <laughs> Let's
0: not recap. You know, that way people don't want wanted controversy. We
2: got it. <laughs> yes. If, if there's a drinking game developing, perhaps it's around <laughs> who gets games. <laughs> um,
0: but you know the question was about uh, when you were a young scientist did you have dreams of being I did it again didn't I but did you have dreams of being uh like discovering x y and z or or emulating someone that you read in the literature who made a really seminal or published a seminal paper I always you know think of making a seminal discovery but really it's the publication of those papers right once you step outside your field you realize no one has read
1: I did. I did. I think, um, especially when I was younger, before I would even call myself a scientist when I was, um, kind of undergrad level, I was very kind of oriented toward like, what am I going to discover? What am I going to, what, what's the the change that I'm going to make? And then that got beaten out of me by graduate school. Oh. So no, I'm just, I'm kind of joking. <laughs> um, but my, my, my goals changed. Right. So I, I understood science more to be a collective stepping forward of ideas um, and that are sometimes punctuated by these amazing discoveries. Um, And I think that um, so, so back to your question. Yeah, I did. I, and I think there were scientists that I emulated um, or at least I read papers and I was like, I really want to be like that. And I remember actually with a computational scientist, um, who I had read a bunch of papers in as a postdoc, a uh, graduate student postdoc. Um, and I was like, this is the stuff that they're doing is so cool. And it's kind of like, there's a, there's some of this and there's some of that. And there's some of the other thing and he's on all these papers. And I met him at a, at a, at a um, him in person at a conference. I had interacted with him on email previously. Um, and I remember commenting on you know uh, one of his papers that I was like, this is really interesting the way that you know you took this idea from mathematics and you moved it into the biology sphere and and um, and he was something he said something like, yeah, i'm I'm you know, uh, two inches deep and a mile wide. <laughs> and it's really interesting looking back at that because um because i kind of that's how i see myself as a scientist now i like i have achieved that i people look at my i publish in cancer and i publish in soil microbiome and i publish in infectious disease and i publish um in some kinds of algorithm development things and it's like it's i i enjoy it i like it but it's also like um yeah. I don't know if that really answers your question, but yes, I did have people I was, I was interested in, um, kind of emulating and I did, I definitely like had that idea. Like I'm going to, you know, discover a cure. Well, I we started out an infectious disease. So it was mm-hmm. like cures for these really bad yeah. viruses or figure out the magic bullet that would be mm-hmm. like, um, you know, hey if you just take this uh you know this one over the counter medication that's already approved you can you know prevent yourself from getting uh you know uh, bird flu or something right. I don't know right. whatever
0: yeah
2: and maybe that's the clear divide is i growing up <laughs> Believe it or not, I never dreamed of being a science communicator. I actually right? not
0: ever thought of you did. as a child, Mike. I don't I can't imagine Mike <laughs> as a child. I've just like imagine I'm, I'm childlike now. I <laughs> came fully grown in grad school <laughs>
2: what. Well, yeah. I mean, I definitely I definitely became who I am in grad school in many ways, but I'm I think that's an interesting difference, right? Jason, this idea of, you know, wanting to work in science at a young age mm-hmm. and thinking of like the big breakthrough. Whereas if you told me science communication was a discipline when I was in high school, I would have said, huh? Like, what do you mean? It's in what way? Right. And I wouldn't right. have known. And I, it wasn't really until I got through my undergrad and uh, was looking for graduate programs that could leverage some of the skills I had that I kind of stumbled into it. And so maybe that once you, and then once you get to that point, it becomes about, well, I want to get my first publication and then I okay. want to make myself uh, marketable for a job and I want to nail the interview and then I want to get said job and then I want to get tenure. Right. And so it became all about these small kind of career the goals sticks. rather than, yeah. rather than the magic bullet, solve science communication thinking.
0: And I think maybe, you know, that, perhaps advances is better than having this big goal that the big goal and always wanting to get to that big goal first might actually be kind of a roadblock to doing all these smaller things that get you there, right? I should say that Mike is also um, one of those famous people, I think, in science communication. He has a very important article about framing um, that was published in 2019? No, earlier. Earlier Earlier than 2019. But
2: just a few that years. That implies prior. I also think it's famous, and I do not think it's famous. <laughs> well, I think so. <laughs> in communication,
0: like it's it's well cited. We'll put it that way. It's a well cited paper uh, because yeah, that's, that's Mike's fair. advisor uh, has a very well cited ninety nine or two thousand. That was the year it was published. Paper yeah. on framing in science
2: communication. Yeah, that that those. Was- date sound accurate. Um again, I would still push back against the fame aspect of it. Um if this is fame, then you know I'm I'm still not getting invited to the fun parties. Like I don't know what I'm missing out on here. (laughs) This is as close
0: to fame as we get in academia, guys. Come on. I think academia
1: (laughs) academic fame is really an interesting weird thing because you have people who are like um so I was at a conference uh and I was in an elevator and uh the woman who was was in the elevator with me, I was like She is like a big name. I'm like really impressed. And I chatted with her a little bit and then somebody else got in the elevator and got out. I didn't recognize them. And the woman who I had been like, um, you know, saying, Oh, this is such a big deal. She turned to me and said, wow, do you know who that was? That was like, you know, somebody like yeah. and I didn't know. She was like, I that is weird that you could just be right next to somebody who's so important <laughs> and so like famous in this, you know, these little subdisciplines. And I thought it was so funny because I'm like, that's what I thought about you. <laughs> yeah. It might be I came circles of fame where everybody yes. admires each, you know, all the way yes. to, to comes there's back. A kid, there's
0: a there's a story I heard as a kid, you know, and like um I don't know if this is a goal of everyone, but you're trying to get kids to be themselves, right? And not just be emulating other people around them all the time. Um, That this kid gets told, you know, or this kid is telling a story about, oh, I really wanted to be like person X, right? And then his friend tells him, well, person X really wanted to be like person Y. And, you know, somebody else says, well, person Y really wanted to be like person A, and the chain goes on right. and then eventually it comes, comes back to the last person who was emulated really wanted to be like the original <laughs> child. <right? laughs> so I don't know why I thought about that. I think your elevator story made me think about that. Sorry.
1: But, but do you, but did you guys, so maybe you didn't aspire to be science communicators, but when you, or, you know, study science communication, but do you think are there um, are there people who you might have held up as role models? You know, maybe after the fact when you when you became when you got into that, where you are like, oh, this is a person that I am really interested in. You know, their career or how they got there, or I, I don't know what.
2: Mike, uh, my answer may be the same as yours. I mean, I think graduating from UW Madison and in, in Life Sciences Communication Program, uh, we worked with. Some of the best, and so that was kind of the example that was there for me. It it was not only like, oh, these people are very successful in their field. Uh, I'm not going to flatter them by saying their names, uh, <laughs> but also <laughs> they're doing this alongside I'm, us. I'm going to link
0: to the website. Again, <laughs> Just
2: there you go. So that but, yes, you
0: know, they they're doing credit. it
2: alongside us, and and they they make it's it true. achievable or at least seem yeah. achievable, right? That you can that you can be this level of productive. Yeah, um, yeah, and. So I think that was, you know, I yeah. stumbled mm-hmm. into it later.
0: Yeah, I would agree with Mike. And I think one of the important things was um getting to know our mentors as as people, right? Mm-hmm. As uh-huh. regular people who don't just work all the time. Because I think if you look in the literature and their academic productivity, you would think they just worked all the time. You mm-hmm. know, and like they have hobbies, they do they do things. Um the other thing, our our advisors were not the same. So, but I think. Um, They
2: work closely together. They work
0: closely together and they both mentor students, I think. Uh, But, you know, looking at my advisor, I learned a lot about being a woman in academia, I think. And I still have a lot to learn about that Um, because that is it's an interesting. It's an interesting experience, I suppose. And being like um, an Asian woman. In a largely white male-dominated field, um, I've had really great champions as well. I think you know, so I think that's really important. But also, um, just developing resilience. I was in science before, where I think it's actually a little bit more even more difficult, I would say right in the harder sciences than in the social sciences There tend to be more women, for example, uh, in the social sciences and in communication I actually encounter a lot of Asian women relatively like I would encounter far fewer Asian women in microbial ecology, which was my previous, um, you know, area yeah. of research. And so, yeah, it's just a different, yeah, it's a it's a different lived experience, I'm sure, from what everyone else has, but it's the only one I have, right? So,
2: Definitely. I'll let you run with that, Jason.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, I'm sorry, I'm such a downer on that, um, but yeah, I, no, but, I do. But, think...
1: but but that's an interesting thing too, because um, you're on one hand describing that you had role models that you could mm-hmm. follow, but on the other hand, you're saying that role models in any of these areas might be. They're different right they're different for different people mm-hmm. and me as a white male will have a selection of role models who i can emulate and um you as an asian yeah. woman might have role models that you can follow in certain ways but maybe not in other ways and that's kind of an interesting
0: yeah and i i like to think i uh sort of pick and choose what i emulate out of mm-hmm, various yeah. role models right i think at some point a mentor and i and i can't recall who so i'm really sorry if you said this to me and i don't remember because it was very very helpful someone said to me all you have to do is think what would a mediocre white male do <laughs> right and you just can't go wrong there <laughs> which is, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's controversial. Who knows? But it 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 was kind of helpful. Mm-hmm. Also, I think someone said to me once, "Don't be such a girl,"
2: which was also helpful. Oh wow! Despite probably being an expert on being a mediocre white male, I'm not going <laughs> to comment on that. I'm going <laughs> to let it sit. I,
1: I I too am an expert in. <laughs> I think your records me. speak otherwise, but yeah.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of the the types of advice that I remember. I think are are interesting, right? It's um, there certainly are some inspirational ones, but the inspirational ones last. Like I remember them less well than the funny ones and the ones I thought were hilarious. Like, don't be such a girl. I thought that was hilarious or like, what would a mediocre white male do that just had me on the floor. Right. And so I just remember these things and I'm, I'm sure someone can find fault with those in, in any
2: way from <laughs> some like, you know, You'll have the most comments on this one of all your I just podcasts. Have a lot of <laughs> What is
0: just, this woman saying? Let's see.
1: Where haven't we? Where haven't we gone yet? Um, just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah,
0: but um, so Mike I mentioned does a lot of research and framing and wrote one of the seminal pieces I think in in framing. Yes, I'm going to say that. Don't be so Canadian. Plattery, about yeah, it.
2: you're you're very yeah. You got this hosting thing down, both of you. You're very good at <laughs> flattering your guests, making yeah. them feel at ease.
0: So, in in light of returning back to this being a podcast about science communication and nothing, Mike, do you want hmm. to tell us a little bit about framing as it applies to science communication?
2: I guess I uh, kind of like the other topics, but sure, we can <laughs> shine the spotlight on yourself. in this
1: because I don't. <laughs> immediately know what that means so
2: well i'll I'll keep it very simple um let's talk about framing mostly in terms of messaging and just how we package information how we deliver information to audiences and really just trying to make it resonate as best as possible so there's all these different ways we can break down framing Um, is that do we want that doesn't seem like the purpose of this given how informal it is and we we're trying to draw in an audience rather than alien people (laughs) and have a very narrow is an
0: important thing that we do strategy tactic that we use in practice of science communication that i think we maybe don't think as much about but there is a a theoretical underpinning and i'm going to let mike boris with that
2: yeah you're written again you so good early on now you're setting me up for a boring five-minute lecture (laughs) on frame i'm setting
0: jason and myself up as entertaining and you as lecture lecture lecture
2: there goes my invitation to all the other podcasts (laughs) that i was hoping to get on Um, (laughs) i'm giving not the five-minute overview i'm giving the 30 seconds so you can just hit that little skip 15 second button twice if you don't want to hear it um (laughs) I love that. Different types of framing. We look at framing in terms of how the media frames messages. So uh, emphasis framing. Do they talk about Joe Biden in terms of the economy versus talking about um, Joe Biden in terms of foreign policy or or, or an issue in terms of these different things. We talk about smoking in terms of it's a freedom issue or a health issue. So like the emphasis we put on things and then the other type of framing and the framing, I think I'm more interested in, and we're, we're trying to marry with our humor work, although we've been hesitant to call it framing in our papers, which I think makes sense. Um, really trying to keep things as rigid and similar as possible, where the only thing you vary is the frame. And the best example of this is the famous, um, is it, are you allowed to say Asian disease any, that well, anymore? Yeah. You That's can what the say. study was called. So <laughs> these aren't my words. Um, it, where you, you give people a choice between, um, you have this, this, it's not a cure, but it's some sort of tactic that will either result in lives lost or lives saved. And you package it as if there's 600 people, 200 people will live versus um, 400 people will not. And the other version is uh, 400 people will die and 200 people will, will, will not pass away. And so what you're doing is you're, you're, mathematically, your choices are the exact same. But depending on how you present the choices to people, then depending on whether you frame it as you'll save these many lives versus this, many, uh, this number of people will pass away or die, people have very different reactions to it. And so we're trying to take some of that very rigid experimental design and marry it to humor with the idea that we can take basic science information or a a piece of communication, and we can layer on top of that a wordplay or a pun, uh, or we can subtract the wordplay or pun from it. Um, We can use a visual to heighten the joke through anthropomorphic humor, giving human-like characteristics to inanimate objects. So that's where I I think where I'm most interested is, is how we're trying to make that marriage these days with our projects on humor. So framing, giving way to, um, to our humor work, if that's the next place we're going with and our see, discussion
1: today. That is really, so that is really interesting to me. Um, and I, I take it from the, the practitioner's standpoint because, um, the, the, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, what I find to be really engaging, and this is again, practitioner standpoint kind of anecdotally is that, is that um personification of ideas so you take something simple and i do it in drawings right you take a an inanimate object and you give it you give it qualities you give it a face you give it something to interact with and i feel like that's really engaging and um with scientific concepts i mean um i used to do i used to do a little bit more of this, where I try to take some uh, scientific concept, and I would, you know, say, "Oh, this protein interacts with that other protein." Right? If you say that and you draw it out that way, people are like, "Why do I care?" But if you make a little <laughs> funny joke and you put a face on one and you put a, a funny expression on the other, then you're like, people are like, "Hey, I kind of remember that. I remember." Like Sarah was saying, I remember the the humorous part, and if it all works right, then I remember what that interaction means. Mm-hmm yeah Um, so
0: this is so fascinating because i've been really interested in um we've been really interested in how humor does that or can it do that right and like anecdotally it seems to be able to do that there's a little bit of evidence out there but um, we always come back to humor on this podcast because this was (laughs) this was one of our like one of the seed ideas for the podcast was we're just going to talk about funny things really it turned out to we're just going to be goofy and funny. (laughs) <laughs> that is an unfinished thought that I'm going to leave there because we were talking about framing and humor and I totally went off on a tangent.
2: Here we go. Sarah derailing the conversation as usual. Well, this is the medium you're in. I mean, I, there, yes, there are serious podcasts, of course, but for a lot of people, it's, it's entertainment it's escape. And I think humor is, I mean, that was our rationale for doing the the project uh, that Sarah and myself and uh, Leona Yifan Su and our graduate students are all a part of. It was, you know, if you're going to stand out in social media, and that's where we've been doing all our experimental work with uh, stimuli that mimic kind of the social media environment, and we we've looked at uh, just that world and how prevalent it is. You you might want to use humor. It's a way to stand out. It's a way to get audience attention. And so um, I'm not saying it's the magic to go back to our earlier conversation, that it's the magic bullet that solves everything. But I do think it's a promising avenue to to put out content. It's cost effective. It's easy. Um, You have the ability, if you do something clever enough to to really reach a wide audience, which a lot of science content doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily capable of doing uh, without the media kind of, picking it out and choosing it and using it as an exemplar. So I think that's why we gravitated
0: there. You know, I also think then, I think this brings us to the question of ethics that has been coming up more um, in terms of ethics of the communication tactics that we might use. Right. Like we think about framing in another way that some people maybe describe framing in lay terms as spin. Right. Right. I I think we could call it that perhaps like the way you've described it. If I didn't use the scientific term of framing for it, I might use the word spin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I guess and I don't believe we're going to come to an answer and we're definitely not going to come to an answer on this today, but what, you know, what are the ethics around using strategies or tactics such as framing and, and maybe even humor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because more biting forms of humor, as we've talked about can create in groups and out groups yep. Um you know, what are the ethics around that? And I think there's a discussion on ethics to be had here. So as a practitioner, Jason, what, do you, what maybe do you think about if you go through, you know, do you go through that process? It's okay if you don't, because I, I'll be honest yeah, as a I researcher, do. when I study this, I, I put that aside, right? By saying this is a strategy, just mm-hmm. like framing is a strategy. It can be used in many different ways to many different outcomes.
1: I think a lot, uh, I, I do think a lot about it and I'm trying to think exactly it, not a really formally because a lot of times I'll, I'll come up with ideas and, uh, and I'll, and I'll draw something out, but oftentimes I'm trying to shape things, uh, for humor. Um, and I would say also filter things that might be, might be punching down. We talked about punching down on a previous podcast and, um, Really, with academia, um, if I'm making I don't know jokes about you know, oh how lazy graduate students are or something like that, that's really not something that I think I should be doing. Um, occasionally, I will have like graduate student humor, but I'm I'm trying to convey that that's from, from my recollection of being in graduate school, I remember how it was, Um, but, but trying to be really careful about not, not framing the, the, the um, the humor in a negative light. And I think Mm -hmm. humor has some, it definitely has some nuances and has some things that are, that are difficult to kind of navigate in that way. And it's such a cultural thing, right? So there's, you could I don't know, you could have a joke that worked very well in one community, but really fell flat or was even, you know, uh, problematic in another community. Um, and how does that work? You're on a social media, you're in every community, you potentially could be, you know, in every community. So yeah, I, I do think about that. Um, and I think about the framing, I would say not so much with the in terms of the bias that I might bring to the humor that I'm delivering. But there is some of that, I think. Um, And especially if I get closer to current topics, political topics, um, I really try to avoid those, but I have drawn some comics on COVID and that kind of thing. And I think about like... I see it one way because my perspective is this way, but other people might take that same comic and say, you know, for instance, that the, the topic that I originally brought up, which is like, those scientists don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're a bunch of goofballs who are, you know, drawing comics and stuff. Um, well,
2: what about uh, Jason? I want to keep you talking here for a second. What about just the concept of persuasion as, as a scientist? Mm-hmm. Are you are you bothered? Uh, do you think you are engaging in persuasion? And Sarah, I don't know if you've had similar circumstances or you've been on calls where with scientists, sometimes the mere mention of the word is it, really viewed problematically. And I'm it curious. Is, about your it on that.
1: No, that's a That's, I think that's a topic that we've, we've touched on before. And I think, um, you know, one place that it comes out screaming is in grant writing, um, which mm-hmm. is your whole objective basically is yeah. give me the money. It's persuasion. <laughs> yeah. It's persuasion. You're, you're yeah. basically saying, I've got the best idea here. I want you to give me the money.
0: So it's and interesting. I, Sorry, go ahead. I'm yeah, just, no, no. Yeah. I, and
1: I think a lot of the kind of, you know, best practices for writing grants are all about framing. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. But it's so interesting because I think, there are domains in which scientists implicitly use persuasion, whereas, whereas there are others where they don't, we don't feel comfortable using persuasion at all or even thinking about ourselves using persuasion, right? Public communication and public engagement, I think, is one of those spaces where a lot of scientists are perhaps not comfortable with this idea mm-hmm. of persuasion versus grant writing, where, you know, I believe the science is important. So I must persuade this funding organization mm-hmm. to fund my mm-hmm. research, you know, and,
1: and. I mean, some of that, some of that could be, um, I mean, you could say that, you know, the, the cynical way is that, you know, I want to get the money, so I'll do whatever whatever it takes to get the money, right? Send me the money. Um, <laughs> me but the but money. there's another way, which is that grants are inherently more limited in their... In their scope of audience, and um, I guess if a grant's funded, then maybe parts of it become public. But if it's not funded, it doesn't go anywhere. And so you're kind of like you're you're persuading a very small audience. Um, yeah. the the reviewers and then the funding agency, um, yeah. whereas with a public release or something like that, you're like, you're trying to persuade the world. <laughs> But if we're Mm -hmm. not
0: being cynical, I mean, the goal of that persuasion is to is sort of trust based, right? Trust me, I can do this science. I am showing you that I have expertise. So if we're writing a grant, for example, I'm showing Mm -hmm. you that I have expertise, that I have a good idea, trust that I can do this, you know, where public communication is also, I think, about. Trust in some way, right? It's the most current science and you know, and and the recommendations of the most current scientific evidence and scientific knowledge that we have. Um there's no question inherent in there yet. (laughs) Oh no, there is a question, actually. So the question is 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 why do we think that that those Two things, right? That I, as a scientist, am okay with persuasion in one domain, but not the other. Yet both of those things have to do with persuading an audience to trust me in some way. Mm -hmm. Like, why is that? Is there that disconnect then?
2: Well, my answer is short and sweet. I don't think there's a disconnect there.
1: I think they're the exact
2: same thing. I think you're, you're selling an idea. Um, and, and that the word selling. I think oh, people don't like yeah. either. People don't, like it. Uh, but I'm, I'm still going to own it and say, I think at the end of the day, if you want people to wear masks, you're trying to persuade them to wear masks as mm-hmm. if you were able to choose between educating people and then having them arrive at the decision to not wear a mask. If, if, if we believe that's the best course of action. Uh, you would generally prefer to persuade them to do it. And I don't mean being deceptive. I don't mean being dishonest. I don't mean in being uh, in lying and fudging the numbers and doing any of those things. But I do believe in using tactics. I do believe in understanding your audience. I do believe in understanding what makes them tick. I do believe in knowing what their values are. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I I can see how that makes people nervous. Um, But I also think if you truly believe that what you're doing is, is good and you're not coercing people into doing it. And I don't believe persuasion is coercion. I think those are two Hmm. very, very different things. Then I think we do ourselves a disservice by not talking about persuasion and pretending that we're not engaged in persuasion. when the outcomes we want are very, very, very heavily in the realm of persuasion. (laughs) If not, solely there i think feel free to edit that out if it was problematic
1: (laughs) no i'm gonna leave all that in yeah that's great i think there's a uh i think there's a um tendency of some scientists i've seen to be kind of um absolutists on the uh, objective science Mm -hmm. at least in in kind of their like um their moral or ethic that, that you should present the facts and only the facts. And then people should make up their minds because yeah. they are able to make up their minds. And you can
2: present the facts and only the facts in a way that resonates in, better. In a way and that I resonate, view that that is persuaded. Yes.
1: yes. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. But I, th- but I, I think there is this kind of like aversion to the idea of, of selling or even the idea of persuasion as being somehow misleading. And, and I, I really don't think that's a, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's counterproductive because I think that, that, um, I, and this gets back to something I said at the start, which is that I, you know, scientists are communicating all the time and it's just that some of them don't realize that that's what they're doing, I guess. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, and so I which brings me back to this grant writing idea again. Yeah. What about that is just putting numbers like I've never submitted a grant proposal that was a bunch of numbers, mm-hmm. right? That didn't make the case for the reviewers, mm-hmm. right? I, my, my job as a grant writer is to make it easy for you to say, yes, I want to fund this proposal. I think this proposal is worth funding. My job is to make it easy for you to do that. So I'm going to try to paint this picture, with right. the words on a page, Right. Uh, of that. And so why think, is that right why is that ethical and okay to do versus um maybe presenting facts to a public audience that is yeah. that resonates with them in some way right that paints a picture for them um in some way.
2: And because just why even why the come? time that you and I have spent writing grants together the time we spend agonizing over the way we present the idea oh, yeah. rather versus the time we spend crunching the numbers. We can crunch the numbers pretty quickly and efficiently between the two of us and so right. embed can bet our, each other's work. We're done with that pretty quickly. But yeah. when it comes to the actual writing, I mean, we send back iteration after iteration and we're like, Nope, this doesn't read well. And we need to strengthen this. And this isn't making our point. It's not strong enough here. Like, we agonize over that i i mean do you disagree
1: or i, I Jason's feel like the nodding tells or me not. that
2: we are not the only ones who do that
1: yeah, yeah. we think a lot no, about oh no and it's like that i mean they people call it grantsmithing right or, yeah. or yeah. i mean yeah. it comes oh. from wordsmithing but yeah. it's right like it it, it can be the, the smallest very small changes can make a really big difference in how something sounds and it's like that sounds negative or that sounds like mm-hmm. we can't do it or that sounds like we're being speculative or that sounds like and it's just the change of like you know, two synonyms, right? You swap right. out a synonym, and you're like, "Oh, wow, that reads so much better, so much better." Now I'm persuading.
2: <laughs> yeah, our favorite thing, Sarah, is to not repeat the words. Right? We have that descriptive word, and never repeat it in we back-to-back do never sentences or near and each other. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. Hard to Very do, good. At that is hard to do.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, as usual, I think we should probably leave this ethics discussion aside since we are at time. We will come back to it many times and probably have this circular discussion again until actually we we should try to get. Um... There are some people who work in science communication ethics. Right. Mike, Michael Dahlstrom, perhaps does some of this work. Iowa
2: State. Is yeah, I mean, Iowa he does State? the narrative stuff. So I, I that translates well to that world. Right.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but in any case, uh, I think today I'd like to end with something a little different. Tell me what you have been reading or watching recently.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, myself or Jason first?
0: Everyone. We're going to do everyone.
2: <laughs> Mine's depressing. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, reading has fallen off the moment that the NBA playoffs started and we're in a stretch run of hockey. And then this makes this is the most Canadian thing I'll say all day. Uh, I'm in the finals of my fantasy hockey league. So there's been a lot of just refreshing scoreboards when I'm not doing work. So, um, Congratulations. yeah. 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 So if I'm reading it's, it's short daily updates on people's injuries and whether they'll be back in time for me to win a championship. It's, uh, you got a real, uh, real brainiac on this call.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Jason? Well,
1: I'll get, I'll give you mine. Cause, um, uh, I, I I used to love reading and I don't read so many books anymore. Um, But I, but I've been uh, trying to get into working out and I've been doing it pretty much every day. And what I found that really helps is if I have something to watch for like uh, on my stationary bike. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've started to rewatch Brooklyn nine, nine from start Um, to finish because it's one of my favorite shows of recent times. And uh, I find it, funny enough that i can just basically be doing my workout and it's like half hour later i'm like oh i'm done but it's been it's it's a nice break too
2: i'm one of the few people that hasn't cut the cord and uh they've been showing that on like tbs and i'm working from home a lot these days really only on campus a couple days a week and so yeah i've been watching a lot of brooklyn Nine.
0: wow i've never seen that
1: Oh, it's, really? it's worth yeah, oh, okay. it's Yeah. It's worth it. I, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it fits my kind of uh, humor, I guess. I find yeah. it pretty funny. So,
2: um, less people think I'm illiterate. I should note that, uh, over Christmas, I read a couple of old Chuck Klosterman books. So oh. I do, I do read on occasion, but it tends <laughs> to be during summer and during the break, yeah. uh, yeah. the holiday yeah. break, I don't do a lot of reading during the academic ones.
0: Yeah. I'm kind of, you know, uh, I go on these cycles of reading a lot and then not reading anything like fiction or any fun books for a while. But right now I'm in a high reading, high reading phase. And, um, not surprisingly, I'm reading something humorous. Mm-hmm. So it's a fiction book, um, by Jesper Ford, F F O R D E. And it's, um, it's sort of like a detective series, but it's set in 1985 in sort of this alternate universe. Anyway, it's quite clever that sounds really interesting um, because one of the titles is Lost in a Good Book. And it's it's all about like other literature and being a character in that literature and like being a detective around like their department is called jurisfiction. Anyway, fascinating. Ooh. Um
2: so, Let's get Jesper Ford trending in the comments and we'll get him right. on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know.
0: I know. Um, I've also been waiting for another book in his series. But yeah, I've been um, patronizing Salt Lake's public library a lot because I can borrow electronic books, which has been really
1: nice. I know. Isn't that yes. great?
0: It's fast. I was, I was doing like audio audiobooks
1: too because I'm not a big audiobook person, but it was fun to like get a sampling of audiobooks and see which ones I liked.
0: Yeah. yeah. And you I've can been doing that at the
1: public? library yeah, but you not do your, your
0: institutional one. i i'm sure i could do it at the institutional one i haven't tried that i for some reason i have this split in like i only use my institutional library for <laughs> journal articles and textbooks. there could not possibly
2: be anything <laughs> there could not else there
0: possibly be anything else there but i use my public library for fiction and and the fun books So, well, thank you, Mike, for joining us. Um, We hope to have you back in the near future because this was a fun conversation. Very
2: fun.
1: Yeah. Three to five years,
2: I might have more stories to tell.
0: (laughs) That is the pace of academia.
1: We plan to still be talking about nothing. So, yes, absolutely. I mean,
0: you you saw how long Seinfeld ran, right? I mean, it was a long time. They talked about nothing for a long time. The Simpsons. What is The Simpsons about?
2: (laughs) No. Um well thank you so much have a good day everyone